Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I've touched that hot stove a lot of times where like, you know, the big boss is like finally on board and like Mm -hmm. has looked at hire with me and is just like fired (laughs) up about it. And then the CFO is like, shut up in color. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Rodney Evans, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Dignan. Hello there. Today, we're going to do part two of our conversation about talent marketplaces. We started this last week, and we're going to pick up right where we left off. So if you didn't listen to part one yet, you may want to go steep in that tea. And before we get into it, we'll do a check-in round like always. Yes, we will influence the shape of the podcast by checking in. Here's the question for today. It's a simple one, but I think it's a good one. And I've noticed that this always brings joy on Fridays. What are you looking forward to this weekend? Tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to my first ever Renaissance Fair. Oh, yes. I've never been to one before. It's like fairy themed and there's performances and I don't know, probably all the usual Ren Fair things, but it will be my inaugural Ren Fair and I'm excited. I would pay the cost of a plane ticket to see that. Um, I'll send you a video of, I'm very with some reaction this. shots. I want react. I want like a reaction at like one minute, 10 minutes and an hour. Okay. Um, all right. For me, what am I looking forward to? I honestly, I've had so much on screen time. I'm looking forward to being outside which to me is my happy place. Okay, so last time we talked about the big picture of talent marketplaces. What should we talk about this time? <laughs> I don't know. There's we got so all the way things. to Marxism. Let's turn the corner. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about the mechanics of these systems. So like how people get paid, how they get picked, how roles get created. Like in your view of a healthy marketplace, how does it work day to day if I'm a person in that system? Well, It depends on how extreme the model is, right? Right, right, right. So there are a couple of just principles, I think, to call out. One is, ideally, marketplaces are driven on skill. I mean, I know there's always going to be reputation, but we've talked before about how so often when there's like a need for dynamic teaming, the people who get tapped over and over again are like the quote unquote high performers or high potential people. And like, you know, sometimes that's legit. And sometimes those people are both high performers and also really good self promoters. And sometimes those people are political animals who like really know when the next like high visible project is coming. And like, it's not, it's not the meritocracy that people pretend that it is. Yeah. So I think in a in a good system, you have skills-based matching. So if there is an, a mission identified, that mission is backed by real money that's coming from the business who wants to see it done. The team is being chartered loosely. 
based on the initial idea around the mission and populated by people with the skills to get it done. Those roles don't all have to be of equal dedication. And that kind of matching between mission and humans is happening transparently. Right. So it's not it's not all like backroom deals. Yeah. Those are my I, starting points. I feel like that's a part that people struggle with. We, we have in the past as well. It's hard to get right, which is like, how do you create the right amount of visibility about opportunities mm-hmm. so that people hear about them, know about them, and can apply? And how do you do that in a way that doesn't always flood the zone with a bunch of bad fit candidates where you're just yeah. like, well, I'm thrilled that you want to be on the Ferrari team, but like you don't have anything to do with what we're doing here. You just want to be on it because you can tell it's high profile or you can tell it's going to be you know, strategically important. So there's like a little bit of social dynamics there in terms of that. But I think most people who are in a system like this definitely clamor for visibility and totally. for like, I want to know when the opportunities are up. I want to know what it takes to get them. And I want to be able to like throw my hat in the ring. Yeah. My experience of this is like, if the backroom dealings are happening, it's because there's not a clear process for vetting the people who do hand raise that everyone is aware of. Yes. Yes. And, or the people who are populating the, the talent marketplace role or team are afraid to say no. <laughs> so I, you know, I've yep. like, I think we've both probably seen a lot of examples of this where it's yep. like, you know, I'm the steward of this thing and I don't really want to ask for hand raisers because I don't really want to say no to right. a you bunch don't of my hurt colleagues. A bunch of feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm too, I'm too busy or lazy or confused or unclear to like make a clarified like rubric for how I'm going to make this decision. And so instead of either making people mad or doing the OS work necessary, I'm just going to ask my buddy in a DM if they want to do the job because that avoids a bunch of headaches. What it doesn't get you though is a vibrant marketplace. Well, and in some ways, like this is where Hollywood is very bald faced. Yes. Where it's just like, hey, guess what? It literally is who you know. It totally. literally is who's hot right now. It literally is who's bankable. Like there is no, oh, it wasn't fair because I also have the right hair to be Harrison Ford. No, that's <laughs> not how this game works. Like yeah. you were not in the right room at the right time. Sorry. Yeah. So I think I think you're right that there there are ways to go beyond that, but there are a lot of incentives not to on the part of the producer. The other ingredient that you touched on very briefly, but I'll just highlight for folks is, in most systems, most traditional systems, mobility across roles is not the right of the individual. <laughs> so like, totally. it's not like, oh, I want to go work on the refrigerator unit, the business yeah. unit, so I can if they'll have me. It's like, I have to ask HR and I have to ask my manager and they have to ask their manager and it's like a whole thing. And that's yeah. why there's no mobility. And in healthy systems that do this well, and I think the the one I was thinking of when I said refrigerator was higher, the appliance yeah, manufacturer. Totally. I think you know the the narrative that I've heard from 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 them is like there's a lot more personal agency where mm-hmm. it's just like if you want to go and they'll have you god bless you know like have a good day and that creates a little bit of pressure on the system and I think what people undervalue is what happens when people can move to things that are not adding value which mm-hmm. is that they shrink and die Mm-hmm. And in a normal system, that doesn't happen because the power holders in those not adding value areas are like, I'm not letting anybody go. This is my alive. kingdom. Yeah. And so they kind of like keep it on life support and they keep growing it. And then you end up where, you know, somewhere down the road, you're like, oh, yeah, our HR department is 8,000 people. Yeah. And Oops. does it really need to be? Like, no. probably not. Yeah. 
Yeah. But but that's my fiefdom and I'm not yeah. I'm never going to let go. But if all those people were offered the chance to move whenever they wanted, wherever they wanted, imagine what might happen instead. Totally. <laughs> and when you work in a traditional system, the kinds of metrics that managers are evaluated on really incentivizes them to keep high performers locked down. Totally. So it's like very, very easy example, but I think probably a lot of people will be able to relate to this. I can remember being when I, I was in HR, someone on quote unquote, like the business side, one of mm-hmm. my internal clients asked me to come and work for him on the business side doing a role that I was like very capable of doing. And <laughs> I was doing a lot of the similar, anyway. I was kind of doing the work anyway. I was just sitting in HR while I was doing it. And he was like, this is dumb. You should just work for me. Yeah. And I remember thinking really deeply and having a bunch of conversations with him about the fact that like, if I left, it would be held against my manager as like, she did something wrong she to drive you. a high performer out of the team. If I told her, that I was thinking of leaving, but it didn't work out for some reason because he couldn't just unilaterally hire me. I still had to go through some process. Then I knew that it was going to cause like a lot of static for me if I stayed. But she knew that I was trying to leave because she she would just be like, well, now I'm just like waiting for you to abandon me again. And I remember him saying to me very clearly, don't talk to her about this before bonuses get paid. Right. Because he was like, she will take your money and give it to someone else. And he's like, and I know that because that's what I would do. Exactly. That's and it's the like, game. So there's all of these like forces when in reality, in an example like that, and anyone who's working in a company of more than like a thousand people can probably think of an example like the one I just gave. It probably would have been good for my new boss, my old boss, me, and the company if I had moved. <laughs> right, right. And everything around the situation was set, up to stop that. was set up to make that not possible. Right. And I think that's very common. I mean, that's kind of it in a nutshell, isn't it? Like that that all these incentives are misaligned and and it all stems from the fact that like we're evaluating these areas like they belong to people. Mm-hmm. And like they have to continue. And that's yes. what's so weird is like, if if that manager can't create an environment where you can do your absolute best work, you should go. Yes. If the reason they can't do that is because that business unit is stupid, it should go. Yes. And that doesn't mean that she should go. Totally. She was a great manager in this particular example. None of that is acknowledged. No. And, and I think that's what's so borked about it. And that's why this stuff is so exciting is that when you when you commit to doing a talent marketplace, you think you're just doing something with how you move pieces on the chessboard but you're actually starting to crack into games of authority and power and like portfolio management and construction. Yeah, totally. Well, and this is where, you know, there's no company on earth that I've ever talked to that when I talk about creating a more adaptable system, they're like, (laughs) yuck, no. Like everybody wants to have an adaptable system. This is what that is. It's like the ability to have things be ephemeral and the ability to reallocate resources and the ability to do different work with different skills as the environment changes. Like these, like without a talent marketplace, you can't really have an adaptive system. No. And, and I think nobody wants to hear that. (laughs) Well, no, they don't. And the reason is that we spent 4,000 years trying to get out of nature. Yeah. And then what you're talking about is bringing it back into the office. Yeah. (laughs) No trees. <laughs> but Just it is concrete. true. Like in nature, 
things that work spread and things that don't shrink. Yeah. And, and every actor in the system has agency, right? The gazelle can go wherever it wants to go. And, and the theater that plays out is the theater of like survival of the fittest and evolutionary biology, which is harsh, but really works well. Like it's got a great track record of a couple billion years. And then, and then you look inside a business system and it's like, we've done everything we can to avoid that and the pain of that. And then when you introduce it, people are like, wait a second, what if people want to leave my unit? And it's like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, they should. Right. What if they want to leave your unit? What if this new thing that we want to get funded doesn't get enough people on it? Yeah. What if that happens? Like yeah, that's maybe it's all not information. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's like, you just have to decide to be brave enough to be like, we're going to confront actual reality as a team and it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's sort of what it is. And that just sparks something for me, which I was talking to a former client the other day that's doing some like fairly informal talent marketplace stuff. Like they're definitely cool. not whole hog on anything. But one of the things that is really interesting is seeing the hand raising or lack thereof as signal of the merit of the idea. Yes, exactly. Which is like, in some instances, there might not be hand raising because of a, a gap in skill set or because the, the person who's backing the mission or stewarding the mission is a butthead and no one wants to work with them. Like there are other potential externalities. But I remember at a client that I worked with for a long time, there was a really, really interesting role posted that was very like it was it was creating a product that was serving a specific population that is generally underserved. And there was an overwhelming number of hand raisers to like do this very good thing. Yeah, yeah. And it turned into very good business. Yeah. And it was like the signal went from inside all the way through to the end user. But the early signal, you know, when this thing was posted and there was no money attached to it and it was like five hours a week and something like that. And and the the guys who posted it were like, Rodney, I don't, I, we're willing to try this, but I don't think anybody's going to be interested. <laughs> right, right. And then they kind of had like a line out the door right. and it was like, well, this might be signal that you're onto something. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a wisdom of the crowds element to this where you don't even have to play the game of like, Monopoly money because yeah. people are just voting with their feet. And that doesn't mean that every idea that gets a lot of feet is a good idea. And it doesn't mean that every idea that doesn't is a bad idea. Right. But it is signal and it is data and it does often play out that way. And then for every, you know, 20 bad ideas that don't get any love, there is the one that turns out to be AWS that like some random dude was just like, I'm gonna keep hammering on this. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's what that's what marketplaces are for. Yeah. Is like you have small bets, medium sized bets, big bets. You have things that are fully supported, lightly supported. And the whole point is like press fast forward and see what happens. Because totally. once it starts to catch, then everybody wants some. And talk about like an interesting lens too on something like reputation or performance. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think in that same example, there were people, I would say, who objectively had much more interesting missions that they were posting into the new marketplace that was crickets. Yes. And then there were human beings where like no matter what they posted there were a bunch of hand raisers because people just wanted to work with them. Yes. And it's like that that's not necessarily how you do the matching, but it's it to me that's a much more interesting data point of like 
all of these people will follow this guy to the most boring mission <laughs> in the market. And then this other thing that seems really like yeah. sexy and innovative, nobody is saying anything. Like what's going on? What's going on over there? This is all just interesting data that isn't very complicated to measure or to look at, but is really telling. Yeah, and I actually love the idea of getting both. And I haven't seen this done well, so this is in the realm of like pie in the sky. But imagine seeing this, the, the data from the system evaluating ideas without attachment to individuals mm-hmm. and then evaluating ideas with attachment to individuals. Mm. And you get both. You're like, oh, there's yeah. a dope idea over there that everybody loves, but we got to put it with the right person. And we have a dope person over here that literally people will do anything for. Yeah. I love knowing both of those things. Yes. Like I can do a lot if I know both of those things. For sure. In For terms sure. of optimizing that system. Yeah. It, what a what a better metric than like, did Rodney leave her boss's team because her <laughs> boss's it's like that's a terrible metric. Yeah. Better yeah. metrics. So for the people who are listening and working inside of organizations that have things like budgets and org charts and reporting lines and fucking OKRs or something. Gross. Yuck. How, what should they do? How can they start? Well, I think like so many things, there are two ways to play with this idea. It's not like, it's not like other transformation stuff we've talked about on the show. Either you put a boundary around some part of the business or you start with projects. And to me, like those are, those are the two ways in. So one way in would be like, oh, we're going to put a ring around this function or this business unit or this geography or whatever it is. And we're going to start to try to play the talent marketplace game inside. And that could be with 20 people or 2,000 people. Like it's really up to your ambition and your commitment. Or, and I've done this more often, frankly, mm. we grab a slate of four or five or six projects that are high profile, that are kind of challenging And we marketplace them from the functions that exist, from the units that exist, with a little bit of like air support from leadership, where it's like, we're going to break the rules of the way this pyramid works, and we're going to move people over into these projects and kind of leave them alone in a different way. And that, and that's where we're going to, that's where we're going to test this out. And if those do well, we're going to do more projects like that. And eventually, essentially, you just fill the pipe, right? Like now, now the whole pipe is projects like that instead of projects that have the other smell. So that's where my head goes, but I don't know if you have recommended or even tried other maneuvers. Those make sense to me. Two other things I would add. One is if you are in a part of the business that is some kind of service provider to another part of the business, you can probably do some experimentation more easily. So like if you're in a, like a shared, ser- yep. you're like in the shared design service, yep. you're kind of probably behaving a little bit like a design agency anyway. Yeah, it's consultative. And so, yeah, you're, it's consulting. It's just that like you have a salary and you're getting, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, but, but actually, you know, I say that, but like there are plenty of situations I've seen where shared service kind of functions are like charging back to the business, et cetera, which is exactly what consulting is like. So in any case, starting to experiment there where it's like, okay, like let's just use, let's use design as an, as an easy one. If there are lots of designers and there are lots of internal clients, rather than having it be like, okay, well, you know, 
Grace is always the designer that Aaron works with from the finance team. It's more like now Aaron is actually like thinking about what the project is. He's posting it to like Teams or Slack or whatever channel and more than just Grace can hand raise based on their desire. So that's a long-winded way of saying if you already have that kind of construct in your business, it's really easy to experiment there because it's already happening. It's just happening in a dumb way. Yeah. And the other thing is, um, I've been really like banging this drum a lot lately, but... So many companies, it's probably because it's a new year. So many companies have some new strategy that they, you know, probably like paid BCG for. I've just seen three of those in the last week. So um, they look very similar to each other. And so I'm only saying that to say, usually when there's like a new PowerPoint deck that has fucking pillars on it of what we're Mm going to go after, the next move is spinning up a work stream to go after it. And so rather than doing that the way that you've always done it, since it is incremental work, probably it could be a good time to experiment with something that looks more like a mission-based team and where you are post, you know, where you're getting clear on, okay, like if you're going to go, if you're going to be digital first, what are the missions? What are the first missions that start to take you there? And how could you be treating those more like missions in a marketplace Mm. than like work streams in an org chart. That's cool. I like that a lot. I also like the idea of of simulating this. So mm. if you those are practical micro things that you can like just do do it differently, but also if you want to just see what's the collective intelligence on this stuff, you could ask everybody in a unit or a whole business or whatever, you know, if this is the whole menu of possibilities, like where would you go if you could go anywhere? Mm-hmm. What would you work on if you could work on anything and see how different the anatomy is of that distribution from the one you have? Yeah. And I've done that before. I haven't done that before where we start with our own set of options, but I have done analysis before where I look at up and coming competitors and what their DNA is functionally and then compare it to a, a, an existing behemoth. And you can just see the difference in the anatomy. You're just like, mm-hmm. whoa, they have 10 to 1 designers yeah. on you. Or they have like 100 projects going for R&D and you have 10. And you can see that there's that there's a gap there. Sometimes that like case making can help, you know, open up space to do this kind of shit. Yeah, that's cool. What do you do if any of those ideas landed <laughs> and someone listening is ready to try them? What do you do about finance? Yeah, because I feel like finance is where I I've just like I've touched that hot stove a lot yeah, yeah, of yeah. times where like you know the big boss is like finally on board and like mm-hmm. has looked at hire with me and is just like fired <laughs> up about it Let's and go. then the CFO is like shut uh, up and call it a second yeah exactly yeah. I th- I think it's such an impossible question I I definitely feel the pain that you're describing and in some ways I feel like there's the short term answer and the long term answer the short term answer is easy which is just like, just keep doing what you're doing in terms of the way everyone's compensated and then and then role play this new way of working mm. and don't touch anything. Don't worry so about it. So you're just it. like, yeah, if, you, if you're an HR director pe- getting paid X, you're going to get paid X for the next six months, even though you might be doing a completely different job. Mm-hmm. And that way you basically kick the can, which is the easiest way to get started. But unfortunately, if it works, then you're doubly screwed because now yeah, you really have to. Because you didn't set you, anything up. Yeah, you really have to jump. And so I do think that that can be hard. In some ways, to me, there's a question of like 
comp strategy that plays out when you do this and do it for reals, which is like, what do we pay for? We've talked about this in the last year. Like, what are we paying for and what do we get? And how do we want to manage compensation in an environment where people are not tethered to a primary role that's so easy to benchmark? Mm-hmm. And so then you have to decide, and we've talked about this ages ago on the show, but like, is it going to be bounty driven? Is it going to be role driven where these are like key roles that have a fees associated with them? Is it going to be salary driven and you just pay the person as, as some people like to say, and you're just like, oh, this person's market value is X. So that's Mm -hmm. what we're going to pay them regardless of what they do here. I don't think there are any right answers. I don't love any of those answers, honestly, but it, but it does feel like at a minimum, you just have to pick the game you're going to play. Yeah. And then play it for a while and, and try to tune the instrument from there. And for what it's worth, having done a little bit of all of them, I am coming around to simpler is better. It doesn't have to be the simplest, but I think I think paying people, you know, by the minute, by the role, everywhere they go, it can skew attention and it can create complexity that ultimately isn't that great. Yeah. And so I, I think that a if you already have a salary model, starting with a pay the person model. That's just like, we're going to benchmark against the marketplace. We're going to take the aggregate combination of the roles you've held in the last year to create a benchmark and kind of roll with that. And then maybe there's some upsides in terms of profit sharing or outcomes that sit on top of that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound half bad to me anymore. But I think I think you got to, yeah, it's kind of like mileage may vary and you got to roll your own. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's one of the hardest... <laughs> I think it's one of the hardest things to figure out, both because inside of like a mission-based team, usually you need money besides just for compensation to do something. And, you know, we've been calling the people who fund missions backers. And it's (laughs) funny because it's like, you know, if if you're a backer from the technology organization who wants to fund a mission to reimagine how we hire engineers because we're dissatisfied with the quality of engineers, that is fairly straightforward. But if you are someone who is dissatisfied with something that is very cross-functional in nature, pretty quickly... The business heads are like, why am I paying for this? Like, why totally. am I? This is a this is a shared problem, and it should be a shared budget. And for the most part, whether we're talking about how the accounting is done, or we're talking about how compensation is administered, we don't have the flexibility of systems to be very dynamic. Yeah, yeah. In some ways, this is where I think a more aggressive stance can be interesting. Like, the higher stance on this is so entrepreneurial. Yeah, that they're basically like. Everything is a business. Yes. So I don't care what the problem is that you're cre- that you're solving. Like somebody else is going to want to buy that, or people inside the company are going to want to buy that. Or it and so exist. there's there's that aspect of it. And then the other aspect that's pretty extreme is the idea of if you have an idea for a business like that, a, a you know a value creation, go to an outside investor and find one that will fund it, and then will fund it. Mm-hmm. Also, like such a varsity aggressive move where you're mm-hmm. just like it has to be commercially viable to a venture investor. Yeah. And then we'll double down on it or triple down on it. It it changes the lens through which you do anything. So if you were like I was going to create a new hiring process, now the lens is like can you create an approach to hiring that's so dope that a venture funding person would give you money? Yeah. Then you can do it. Otherwise you might not get the money. Yeah. And and then it's like a whole different animal unless you're already part of a unit that is funded more generally around HR type shit, but I I just yeah, it's like such a gauntlet. Yeah. Well, and like in that example, you know, if you look at consulting, we've both been in 
and around a bunch of consulting businesses, like the way that consulting services get built is when a client pays for them. Yeah, go sell it. So it's like you go sell it to someone and then you get paid for it. And and what I think is interesting is in an example like Hire, but I see this in other places too, including at the Ready, there have been things that we built because a client wanted them yes. that we could have and probably should have built for ourselves. Yep. But it wasn't really until someone external was like, we'll pay for this. And then like the version that got built wasn't for us. Right. And, right. and there's a real downside to that. Like if you're not going to fund the thing yourself that you need and you're going to rely on external funding, whether it's venture or a real customer, then you're going to like, you're going to end up with what they want. Yeah, totally. Which is yeah. not necessarily going to be what you would have hoped for in terms of the mission. Yeah, it is. It is true. And I think what you're keying into is like, with all these things, the trade-offs and and the consequences of, of over-indexing on one approach or another are, are apparent. And then you have to decide like, well, how do I tune the system to get what I want? Yeah. And the reality is like, you want more entrepreneurialism? You turn up the heat the way Hire did. You want more like things that are custom fit for what you need? You're going to have to have an internal funding marketplace. Like you're going to have to keep tuning the system. And maybe that's the takeaway is this is not a one and done thing where you're like, oh, we did a talent marketplace this year. We're done. Now it just runs the way it runs. It's like, no, it's now you have a garden and now you're going to have to watch it season after season, crop after crop and be like, "Uh oh, we're getting a little bit too much of this. We're getting too much mercenary behavior. We're getting too much movement. We're getting too little movement, you know, whatever it is and, and keep like, playing with those dials, but at least you have the dials then in the first place. And you're not just playing the game of like pedal harder, which apparently yeah. is the only other game. You actually have more, more things to tune. It's a, it's a more interesting system. Yeah. That, I mean, that was kind of the last thing I wanted to talk about, which is oh, I do think that also, you know, in, in a talent marketplace where we have these teams coming together to make movies or you know, accomplished missions or whatever we're (laughs) calling it, that is absolutely the place to do new ways of working. So it's like you all, everybody is already disoriented. Like everybody's already away at camp. So like nobody's favorite cereal is in the cupboard. Mom's not home. This is the time where it's like, think about how you want your cabin to run. That's your mission-based team (laughs) because nobody gets to have it the way that they have it at home. Right. And so like, This, you know, like when you were talking earlier about how getting started, you can be, you know, within a boundary or within projects. I think whatever way you start, I always want to look at these opportunities as the time to be like, okay, we are going to get, you know, even even from the inception, like we're going to write down what the mission is. We're going to write down an initial hypothesis for what we think the return is. We're going to write down initial roles and skills that we need. We're going to create some kind of filtering or hiring process from our internal marketplace that is fair or that is skill-based or that is a simulation or that is equitable or any of the other things that we've talked about on this podcast. And then we're going to no shit charter. We're going to have an operating rhythm of meetings. We're going to shed and add roles as we need to. We're going to have a fucking sprint plan. Like this is the place to leave <laughs> all of the terrible habits from everybody's functions and then do it better so that everybody goes home. You know, it's like the first time I went to sleepaway camp and I came home and my mom was like, I didn't know you knew how to make a bed. And I was like, well, at camp, 
you have to make your own bed. <laughs> there are uh, no moms, yeah, it turns out. No, no moms. And my, my counselors were like, get it together. So that's, it's such a ripe moment to your point for noticing, you know, what kind of flowers are growing and whether you're psyched about that. And also just really thinking about like, what kind of, what kind of garden do we have here? We don't just have to inherit from the broader system. That's something that you and I have talked about a lot more in the last year and that I have become way more enamored with is like moments of transition. Mm. What a, you know, change happens best when something else is already moving. And, and I love the point that like, yeah, if you're doing this, you kind of get a two for one. Yeah. Which is like, you're already playing this game to optimize for this set of goals. And while you're at it, you just blew up the whole way of working for the people that are coming together on these new teams. So guess what you get to do? Yeah. You know, and like you can do as little or as, as much of that as you want, but at least notice that you you've come to a threshold. And so there's room for ritual and there's room for departure and people are definitely down. Like I have experienced plenty of mission-based teams where people show up and they're kind of like, it's like the clubhouse in the treehouse or something. They're just like, let's do it our way. You know, they're not even resistant the way they are in their own kingdoms. Yeah, it's so much less awkward. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, decorating a clubhouse versus people coming over and decorating my house. I'm like, whoa. Right. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it up. For now. Yeah, there could be more. There could be a part three. Send us questions, y'all, about talent marketplaces. We've gotten a bunch of them. Yeah. And we've obviously done a bunch of this work and it's very much on our minds. So if there's other stuff you want to know about, just let us know. Yeah, and if you have something talent marketplace-y, tell mm, us. Yes. I'd love to hear about things out there that are starting to take on the shape. Quick tip of the hat, as always, to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good, which is you know more or less difficult depending on the week. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. As for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. <laughs>